What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Major League Rugby Rant Podcast Show with your hosts, Ty Braga, Scott Ferrara, and Rob Hammerschmidt, who tackle the tough topics relating to Major League Rugby in the US and Canada. This is your premier source of information. You are listening to the Major League Rugby Rant Podcast Show. My name is Ty Braga, and joining me here today... We have the familiar faces of Rob Hammerschmidt from Hammer Rugby. Alongside him, Scott, the big guy from the Rooney Supporters Club. And joining us as our guest ranter, we have Connor Murphy. And he is here to hopefully try and steal the title from these two boys in this challenge. Connor, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, guys, we have some pretty interesting topics to be able to debate here today. Of course, like usual, we put it out to the Major League Rugby Fan Zone group to be able to find out which topics they find most interesting. And what came out tops on this occasion was how can the Major League Rugby fan help the Major League Rugby itself as a league continue to grow? Now, not only will we be debating this topic, we'll also be later in this episode talking about the new naming of the LA expansion team. Of course, the Giltinis, hot topic. Everybody's talking about it, and for good reason. And finally, we'll also make sure that we're going to take time to talk about the new coaching changes at the San Diego Legion. Now, boys, I'm sure we've, of course, got many opinions, and that's why we're here to be able to share it. You know the rules. You got two minutes to tell us what you think in your opening rant. So we're going to hand the ball over to Rob on this. Actually, I stand corrected. Let's start with Scott on this occasion because I believe we normally start with Rob. So let's give uh, let's give uh, the ball to Scott with your opening rant of two minutes, and your time starts now. Great. So I mean, the the the, the smallest thing the average MLR fan can do to help grow the league is just get somebody a friend to watch MLR with you. So what I do is when, when Rooney has away matches and we go to the pig and whistle, I have a bunch of friends come and my, my best friend has had does knows nothing about rugby. He currently works for the New York giants and I've gotten him into rugby over the past two seasons. And now uh, through ESPN plus, which, which he has, we will, we can watch super rugby together online. We can talk about the MLR. He's, he's kind of become conversant in rugby and he's spoken to his brothers about rugby and he's spoken to his friends about rugby. And now we have a group of like five guys who come, and I was the original person to say, hey, this is rugby. This is what it's all about. So I think the, the least thing a fan can do, and it takes the least amount of effort, is just talk to one of your friends who isn't into rugby and, and just bring watch a match. could be any match. It doesn't have to be MLR. And eventually you'll bring MLR to them because MLR will be uh, something that will be on television in the same time zone, in, in the same you – know, very easy to watch on ESPN Plus or, or local TV. And then you can bring them to the away matches. You can bring them to the home matches. I mean, they, they have ticket sales, you know, different ticket uh, prices for, for everything. I know Rooney did a lot of, you know, buy one, get one free for being a friend. And a, a lot of people showed up with that. And you had a lot of people, again, who didn't know anything about rugby coming to understand it. Um, and I think that's that's the smallest, easiest thing you can do. And let, let's, let's not make it complicated. Let's make it simple. 
Right. You're absolutely right. And it needs to be simple, easily accessible. Um, and, you know, the MLR year by year is becoming more accessible for fans at all different levels. So how they include new people creating new fans. I know that I personally had seen at the Raptors uh, in the 2020 season, how they would wear a sticker to be able to identify that, hey, I'm happy to be able to talk rugby with you. If you're new, feel free to ask me a question. So it broke down some of those barriers and that little bit of a, you know, rugby shyness, so to speak. So exactly as you say, is that one fan can create another fan. And if we all happen to be able to do that, we'll definitely double and triple our audience uh, at these games. And of course the viewers at home. So great points there because really it does start with a fan. You know what? I'm going to hand it over to your right hand side, pop pass over your shoulder to Rob. Let's hear what you got. So uh, I've said this before with regard to the uh, actual MLR franchises, but it's it's experience, experience, experience. You want to give the fans an experience um, that they want to be a part of over and over again, week in, week out. So how do you do that? Well, Ty, you alluded to Rugby Town having the sticker and identify individuals who could certainly help newcomers to the game learn and understand the game. Um, you know, we talked uh, in the pre-show about, you know, some of the rule changes, possibly the 50-22 rule. Well, kicking is difficult to understand uh, who gets possession as it is. And for, for the non-rugby playing fan, uh, it's even made more difficult. And so it's important that they understand what's happening. They understand the rules. They can point out what's happening on the field when the referee uh, gives a signal. Um, so I think that's critical. More teams should bring that piece into it. Um, uh Bring a friend. Scott talked about that. I think that can't be undersold. The importance of, um, you know, encouraging uh, the existing fans to bring additional fans to fill those seats and talk to them about this game. Uh, because I, I really think once people get uh, a taste of it, they can't get enough. They really enjoy it. The American rugby uh, general sports fan likes contact. Rugby has contact. It's an easy sell. Um, the other thing is uh, post-match socials. Now, I know this is driven by the teams, but it, again, it's part of that experience, you know, drag your friend into that social, introduce them to the players, you know, make it uh, kid friendly, bring your kids in there. The kids should be able to meet those guys that they saw competing on the field. That'll give them a, an experience that they want to be part of again. So it's important that, you know, as a fan that you encourage your friends, the people you bring with you to attend the socials or to attend the off-season events. I know that down in NOLA, they do, they do a lot of off-season events at the local establishments. Bring your kids, bring your friends introduce them to the players. Um, uh, my, I, I, I haven't heard of any player not being able to connect easily with fans. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of them being a jerk, being, being, you know, aloof or whatever. They're always very, very encouraging when they meet new rugby fans. And so I think it's important that we really make an effort as fans to bring our friends to those opportunities. Um, watch parties. You gotta, you gotta support the watch parties, not just home matches, but away matches. Rep, rep, rep. You got to rep. I'm repping now. Okay. I like um, it. I like it. I like it, man. You know, and encourage them to take part in the culture. I mean, the cohort is creating, they're, they're doing a metallurgy class so people can actually create their own Legion uniform. I mean, right, how great cohort. is that? You That's, know, right? cool. That's cool. It's a really cool idea. You know, the second line in NOLA, you know, everybody can take part in the second line. That's an inherent uh, natural cultural piece that the team and the fans have, have really ingrained encourage your friends to take part in that right some excellent points there although you went over the two minutes i i like what you said uh i'm still going to give the yellow because the referee has to be consistent <laughs> hey I even mean, richie mccall got me. a yellow laws okay. of the game <laughs> <laughs> 
So, you know what? You did make some great points, though, and I want to be able to take a moment to recap a few of those things. So one thing you had brought up that was very important is that it's a family event. You know, you need to be able to make sure that you're engaging fans at every level of the game. I mean, the young youth rugby uh, leagues, um, events and so forth, uh, the connection to the players, which I truly think is something that makes um, rugby unique is that, you know, in other sports, you don't have access to the players as you might very well do in rugby. And especially here in the U.S., you know, Rob, I think you had brought it up in a previous episode with uh, Old Glory. You know, you've got fans that are field side you know, and they're a part of the action. They're almost right on the fringe of the game itself, which is amazing for that fan interaction, the energy that comes with it. <clears throat> and as a result, it builds that culture. So some great points there about the socials and things like that. Um, and, you know, even though you say that they're driven by the clubs, the teams, they are also very well driven by the fans. And, you know, Benjamin Down and Nola is a great example. Yeah. Um, where you just need to be able to get a bunch of like-minded people who enjoy what you enjoy, put them together, and they're going to like each other and, and have a great time. The formula is very simple. You know, you just need to have more of it. All right. So, so because I made so many great points, you take them back to yellow, sir? <laughs> I, would say, I would say no. <laughs> I was thinking about it. I, call, I, I see for a moment, me staring over there, that was engaged in the TMO. <laughs> but uh, you know what? Uh, let's let's give the, the floor over here to, uh, to Connor. Uh, Connor, you have the opportunity to be able to let us know what you think. I mean, you've got a unique perspective being so closely linked to the MLR, of course, having been out there yourself. So give us what you think. I think that it's key is just exposure as well as understanding. I think rugby can be a bit daunting for someone who's new. You know, there's a lot of rules that they've never seen or come across. You know, I love the way in Houston we'd have this big screen and as the ref would make a call, they would be shouting it out and showing the videos that we made, you know, pre-season to, to help them understand, which makes it a lot easier and makes you understand the game and the flow of sort of the interactions i think that's key and also like you guys have mentioned that post-match social you know we had a big tent where fans could just come in and you know whilst once we finished eating they could talk to us have a beer with us i think that's the very unique experience with rugby sure. right you, know, you you get to have that interaction with you know a professional rugby player you're never going to get that if you go to an nfl game you know you're not going to sit down next to some superstar whereas with rugby you can come in and actually have a beer with a player you know and they're gonna love it you know nine right. times out of ten it's a free beer um, <laughs> so, <has> free beer. <laughs> yeah exactly you know and, and i think social media is a big part as well it's getting a rugby on someone's timeline that's never seen it before because right we like to look at stuff that looks a bit strange when we're going through our phones so if you see someone being smashed in a tackle, you're going to click on it there. That's a bit of exposure. And then next thing you know, they see it another time. And then start to think, well, actually, I might go and watch a game. I might go and interact and, and get out there. And I might take my kids to, to, to play the sport. Because I think that's ultimately what's going to grow MLR. It's growing right. a game. Because once yeah. you grow the game, the TV rights go up. Once the TV rights go up, the clubs are, get more money. Once the clubs get more money superstars start coming and people start going, actually, this is a force to be reckoned with. I want to go and play in, in the MLR. Like you've had the rumors of Dan Carter maybe going to New York. You know, if someone like that comes over, 
Next thing you know, <laughs> the world media is talking about the MLR, not just a small yeah. bunch of people in, in America. So I think both interaction as well as, you know, growing the game from, from yeah. the grassroots. You're coming up to, on your two minutes as well. To then grow it sort of at the top now. I think that, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. No yellow card. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. He's like, he's like, his face went like this. Like, oh crap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you know what? Obviously, Connor, thank you for your views there. I mean, you you see this down at the Sabercats. Uh, obviously, they do a great job, by the way, of engaging the youth. Uh, they've got activities. There's so many things going on. They've got a beautiful stadium purpose-built for them. So they're, you know, probably in the best situation to be able to engage fans at all different levels, everything that we had spoken about. And then you had touched on social media. One thing I'd like to be able to go a step further to be able to, to elaborate further on that, social media is probably the most powerful tool today. It's free, it's easily accessible, and anybody can use it. So why wouldn't you leverage these things in your favor? However, I also want people to recognize is that when I mean social media, I don't necessarily mean that the Arrows put out a tweet about their team. I mean, it's the, the fans like us here and the platforms that we're using to be able to share information about the sport, about the league, about the players, the development, give them access to information. And this is where I think that the MLR itself can also help it is by being transparent enough that they're involved in every part of the way. The fan deserves the effort that we put in, the passion that we have. Everybody is happy to be paid just by the satisfaction of being a part of it, you know, and helping to grow it. Because the one thing rugby fans are is passionate. And that'll be most important to them to be able to help it grow, to be a part of something, to build the culture. And if you give them the ability to have access to the information, the players, you know, the changes in the league, there's no more secrecy and things like this. They will share that information with people, whether it be by person or social media, and put it in their hands. Let them reveal all of that. So I had a couple of points that I wanted to be able to bring out, that a strategy that I, when I researched it online, there was a report um, that was actually surrounded the LA Kings about how you can grow a loyal fan base. And just a couple of the key points was, first up, humanize and personalize the teams. We had touched on this. Rugby has great access to the players, and in the socials, they're there sharing a beer with them. That's powerful. So you give them real contact. You don't hold them up on a pedestal and say that they're the untouchable celebrity, right? Make it real experiences. The other half of that was uh, access to players and also the staff themselves. You know, uh, Nate uh, at um, NOLA offered to be able to come on our show when we hosted that little competition on the Major League Rugby Fan Zone. He's engaged. They're, of course, Rob Repping. I mean, I feel like sometimes I'm like, I, guys, just want everybody to know who watches the show, I am not paid by NOLA. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm not either, but you're right welcome. Now, they're, they're, they can pay me anytime they want. Just yeah, yeah. Talk about <laughs> Rob taking, taking uh, uh, checks, credit card, yeah. whatever you can give him. <laughs> um, but the Bitcoin. final thing was that I wanted to bring up that was talking about a strategy of growing is make fans contributors to the teams. So it was actually engage them, let them be co-creators, let them come up with their own content to be able to share, give them access to the social media accounts for a day when you have a top fan who's proven that worth. You just not Benji, fan. just not Benji. Hey, so, so two <laughs> things, and I think you hit upon some key points, Ty. First, um, how do you get them involved? 
Well, you know, it's funny. I was reading something and doing some research. You know, the cohort was never part of their legion's plan to connect the legion with Roman, with the, right. the, okay. the Roman legion. Mm -hmm. It was actually, it was kind of um, cultivated um, uh, organically out of the fans. The fans did it. And look how it's worked out. They, they get ownership. They've kind of taken that piece and they've made it their own. And that's what made has made that so beautiful. The other thing is you talked about passion. What What is the most symbolic and historic example of passion in rugby? The song. Oh, Benji right. talks about it all the time. As a fan, why can't somebody who is musically inclined as a good wordsmith or whatever create some songs that are unique, make them fan friendly. You don't want to, you know, have the language that is typically in most of these <laughs> songs in there because you want, you know, parents to feel comfortable bringing the kids in. Create a songbook, make copies, distribute it so everybody can join in in the experience. Right. And that's that, another organic piece. Going on the, the song portion and, and trying to do it with, with being a terrible, I'm terrible, I'm personally terrible with anything creative. It's actually hard to do, especially when you don't have when you only had two, one, two or three years in a league and with a team and with that experience to do that. Whereas, you know, if you go to the Prem or you go to Pro 14, that culture has been there for such a long time. You can pull names, you can pull things that happened, you can pull match dates that were important. Whereas it's such a, like a microcosm now of the MLR because there isn't that history there. It's actually hard to do. Yeah, it all has to start somewhere. But if you gave that task to a fan, there would be somebody, like I said, driven by passion, will come up with that. And if you put the power in their hands to be able to be a driving force behind that, they will adopt it very easily. And then you know, you you've always got to start somewhere. I agree with your point that there isn't that type of culture that 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 rivalry that goes back, you know, 20, 30 years, um, where it's almost grown up generationally with them as it would be in like soccer in the in the, the UK. So, yeah, those are elements. But if the cohort sprung out of nothing and that's a part of their identity, so could the song. Yeah, I think this, if you look at the song point, just look at the way Gloucester have built the shed around simply mm -hmm. singing their name. You know, they right. just say Gloucester over and over. So it has an effect on both interacting the, the fans as well as creating some form of sort of identity. You, you know now yeah. as a player... If you go to Gloucester to play, you're going to have 80 minutes of the shed, which is 100 meters of fans just completely getting right. on you. You know, like you can't escape it. Uh -huh. And that's the sort of thing that could help build that fortress mindset that every team keeps speaking about in how right. we'd never want to lose at home. We want to become a fortress. Right. And, you that's know, Seattle has had evidence of that with their fan support, though. They've had in the past chants and things like that it doesn't have to be a song it could really just be a chant that's you know one or two lines pretty easy but you know in unison it sounds fantastic and it adds an amazing atmosphere to the experience definitely yeah so guys just to be able to recap we we ultimately agree that it's always starts with the fan and the fan can do it in very simple ways but with the help of the league and giving them the, the opportunity to be able to have you know, as a co-creator, to be able to create songs, to be able to create videos, podcasts like ours. But then, you know, find the notable ones and elevate that that uh, uh, awareness and allow them to be able to show that actually on the official websites. I mean, when it comes to branding, the identity of the team, the brand awareness for the teams should be controlled by the staff of that. However, when it comes to the fanfare, 
that arguably so should be run by the fans. You know, and I think that that's something that will develop once we have that. But we have to start somewhere, and it is with the fan socials, pre-game, post-game. It's access to the players, humanizing them, giving them access to to the fans. You know, they the the, the players. What I do like in the MLR, because it's not the lofted heights of the Premiership or the Super Rugby. And that being said, rugby in general still is, it hasn't got that celebrity vibe that the NFL might very well have and other great sporting uh, uh, cultures in the US. But what it does have, though, is I look at those players and I watch them interact with the fans. They almost are so, they're almost a fan of the fans, you know, is the best way I can describe it. They're so appreciative. And that comes across being genuine. And that's what I'm talking about when you humanize your players. They're just as happy as you are to be out there and watch them as they are to have you there watching them. Well, Major League Rugby rant fans, we're going to take a quick break as we hear from the Major League Rugby Fan Zone Group. This ball represents the game we love. Rugby. A game filled with passion. But there is one who has no number. Nor is he in the locker room or in the field of play. And he is there for every high and every low. He is watching every kick, every tackle, every try score. Is always there when you need him most because he is the major league rugby fan. And welcome back, Major League Rugby Rant Podcast viewers. We are here in our second segment to be able to talk about the LA expansion team being named the Giltinis. So this, of course, came uh, to be one of the hot topics this week, and for good reason. Uh, You know, there was some speculation. There was some thoughts from, uh, and I'll put the feather in our cap as the podcast show here, we had kind of alluded to this about a month back with the, the names being trademarked already. Uh, some of the other options were the Gilmapolitans uh, and uh, a few others, but ultimately they settled on the Giltinis. So let's let's break that down, boys. Um, what do we think? I mean, Rob, do you want to start us off with this? Sure. Um, so a, a good mate of mine, I played with him many years at the Blaze, uh, Diefed Richards. He's a Welshman, but he's also uh, runs a marketing firm here in Chicago, several offices internationally. And he said there are a lot of ways to brand. And one of the ways is a guerrilla method. This is what he's talking about, is you create something that's so off the wall, so unique, so different from anything else, that it creates its own energy, creates its own interest. Just the fact that we're talking about it now, just the fact that so many people were were talking about it on social media, uh, it's free advertising. And, you know, free advertising is good advertising, no matter what it is. Um, And so that being said, I hate the name. Um, I hate the idea. Uh, I hate the colors even more. Uh, when I saw him, um, I have to disagree with the big guy. I, I immediately conjured up images of of Sonny Crockett and Rico Tubbs sitting against a Ferrari in Miami Vice, um, <laughs> you know, and uh, I thought it was horrible. I mean, one of the things that I'm really challenged by is the fact that, you know, let's say a new ownership group emerges in a, you know, five year, six years, the interest begins to to shift. 
And um, are they going to stick with this name? You know, it's it's identifiable with one of the owners, right, Gilcrest. So are they going to stick with that name? Of course not. I mean, for me, how do you build interest in the league? You build it around what, ex- what the sporting culture that exists. Look at what Seattle's done. They built their, their colors. They built their logo, their name around the Seattle Seahawks. And by the way, around the Canucks, if you look at the, the, the dick fish is built around the Canucks. Uh, look at what, you know, I go back to Nola, but you know, the, the golden black, um, you know, you, you, uh, um, Rooney has built around tried and true colors in New York, you know, using the pinstripes this year, you're really trying to build the fan base because you're giving them a connection with what they already know. So, um, this is something so off the wall that while it may you know, generate interest and energy initially, I think in the long term, it really cuts the nose off to spike their face. And the point is, children can't wear the guillotine to school. They can't rep. They can't promote. And uh, it's inherent in the name. It's inherent in the logo. It's inherent in the brand. And here in Illinois, they couldn't wear it to a practice or to a game either because of rugby Illinois rules. Right. I hear what you're saying there. And that is important, though, too. And a couple of the points just to reiterate that I found that resonated with me is that you can't build a culture around something that you've manufactured like that. It doesn't happen organically. And of course, when you come to branding, you have to design that. So there's merits in both of those sides of the arguments. Um, And your final point there that really, uh, I think, has some traction and weight in this conversation is how does it translate to to the youth? You know, when you're when you're identifying a brand that is obviously an adult brand because it's an alcoholic beverage. Now, to be able to to tackle that point, I believe they have also released information that there will be a non-alcoholic version of the brand. However, we had spoken about this in our pre-production meeting is that you associated with the way that you experience that brand. And if you see it in your hand as a drink for yourself to enjoy as an alcoholic beverage, that's how other people will perceive it as well. And uh, so it really depends on how they market the maybe the product itself and see who that be. And only time will be able to tell. And, and, and let's face it, what, what are most Americans associate rugby with? College culture, which inherently is built in the social aspect rather than the rugby aspect. And I don't think we ought to be propagating that element nearly as much as I think this branding does. Excellent. Well, I know that uh, Scott brought up a point in our pre-production meeting. So I want to swing it back over to you there, big guy. What are your thoughts about this? Well, it, it's funny because I just I just had a thought about this now that we were talking about the previous topic is we talked about the social aspect of rugby and we pushed it so much. But now we're saying we're not going to use the the, the, the the alcohol version of whatever the guillotinis is. So let me clarify my position because I, I think people on social media didn't understand what I was saying. I don't like the name. I don't think it's a good <laughs> name. I don't think it's a marketable name. But my point is there are other things in rugby that are based on alcohol. The Guinness Pro 14, Magners is a big sponsor of a lot of Irish teams, and Magners is plastered all over people's kits. The first kit I ever got, I was 13 years old. It was a Scot- Scottish national team kit, and the thistle is about this big, and in this big, letters across my chest, it said famous grouse scotch. So my point is that it's it's maybe it's because it's American different culture, and I'm sure Connor will speak to that more than I can, but for me, I just feel like if rules are rules, if, 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 if kids in Illinois can't wear it, that's one thing, but to, to kind of be pretentious about the alcohol portion in general, doesn't make sense. You want to, you want to complain about it because Gilchrist is just trying to promote his product. That's one thing. So I just want to clarify my, clarify my position on that. Rob, you're absolutely wrong. The colors are frigging great. <laughs> the, the reason, the reason you don't think they're great is because you're older and you associate them with Miami Vice, but now everything that is old then becomes new again. And I think what has happened, 
I'm not I'm not really trying to tag you for old age, but like bell bottoms, you know. But you are. I was when I was when I was a kid when I was when I was a kid, bell bottoms came back in, and my mom was like, I remember bell bottoms when I was a kid. So I think it's just a, a cultural generational thing, and I do think those colors right now in this generation have something that the kids want because if you look at the clothing the kids are wearing now, it is that day glow, it is that bright stuff. Hey, hey how long have the Mets and the Yankees had their colors? It's, but they've already established the colors because that's the flag of New York State. Uh, okay. Right. Silver and black is a deep roots in L.A., right? Yeah, but – And, by the way, black so is, is well-known so and well-associated with, with one of the best the running LA teams. Kings came – Why not go with what you got? The L.A. Kings, silver and black, exactly. Go with what you know. Yeah, but the, LA, the L.A. Kings – No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You're wrong. L.A. Kings weren't silver and black. See, I'm a hot They were purple guy. and gold, and, 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 and where is that now? And gold, the L.A. Lakers colors. they're not purple and gold anymore. The silver and black. Since Gretzky, yeah, but they were the LA Lakers colors. So, but my point is, and even the LA Lakers colors for a hockey team wasn't traditional. So you can continue to hate. Haters are going to hate. But I'm just letting you know that 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 the logo itself I didn't like, but the colors that they're using in the logo I think is unique, and that's something the Harlequins kind of pride themselves on is, right. is having that unique color color and kit set. So well, it's distinctive and it's identifiable, which is the key points about branding. You know, you don't want to blend in. You want to stand out. So that is a great point that you bring up is that, you know, in the rugby climate that you have now, is it against the grain to some? Yeah, sure. Uh, is it identifiably uh, unique? Absolutely. So it depends on which way you're looking at it. If you've got your marketing hat on, great job, right? People are talking about it. It's identifiable. No and so you rightly pointed out, Rob, is that people are talking about it. It's free advertising. The fact that we're having this conversation, coming back to your earlier point, means that it's working to a certain degree, right? So, you know, great points over there. Uh, I want to be able to hear what uh, Connor has to uh, to say about this. I mean, you've been wearing uh, colors on the field. How would you feel about your uh, your wonderful glow in the dark kit? <laughs> I I was when I saw it, I thought it was a, like a joke. Like I genuinely thought it was a joke. I think to me, I understand that you're trying to create a buzz. But, you know, six months down the line, a year, two years down the line, once it's not a new MLR franchise, it's not a new team, it's not just been named and branded, it's just going to be a rugby team with a crappy name and a crappy logo. Like, <laughs> you know, it's it's creating the buzz That's now. That's what you really think, Connor. I'm a huge fan of building a culture around the name, the right. logo, the fans. How can you build the buzz and the culture around a mar- what you can do? Bring everyone, all the fans in and start handing out martinis. Like, I understand he's trying to build his brand, mm-hmm. but don't use the franchise as your hobby. It's got to be, it's got right. to be important to you because ultimately, otherwise it, it will fail. Like, if you're just saying, I'm, I'm going to try and push my own stuff using this as a platform, that's, that's the wrong reason why you, you're getting into rugby. It's, it's not going to help grow anything. And I right. think he's got to understand that it's rugby's built around culture. And I understand what you were saying, Scott, about in the UK and, and, and Ireland, there's a lot of alcohol along, along the shirts. But there's also staples in rugby. Like everyone knows when you go to a game, you're going to have a pint of Guinness. That's the reason why there's so much around it, so much branding around it. I think it's built into the culture back home. 
to right. to go to a rugby game and have a Guinness or have have a have a alcoholic drink. And I think it's different when it's your logo because you're only going to see the, the the Guinness on a match day. Every right. time you see a tweet or an Instagram post or something from the LA team, it's going to be an alcoholic drink in your face. And if you can't wear it in certain places, what's the point? So I get you. I'm just, I so, just, again, I, I think I would it. say I that it. you're not in favor of it. Would you stand as saying you're against it? Yeah, I'm, I'm wouldn't say I'm a fan of it. At okay. All. Well, you know, a couple of points that you brought up there is that, you know, talking about the branded uh, alcohol brands being used to be able to support rugby in other parts of the world, like the UK, uh, like South Africa too, the Springboks were sponsored by Castle Lago for, for many years. Um, you know, and I, we spoke about this uh, to be able to reiterate some of the points that you brought up in our pre-production meeting, Scott, is that the brand itself of Guinness is not actually as attached to the name of the club. It's a sponsor. So there is a certain degree of separation. The other thing I wanted to be able to talk about when it comes to separation is, as you pointed out, Connor, is that, well, you know, here you have a team that is almost got a different focus. It's not about the rugby. And this might be because of the leadership and the ownership that's driving this, of course. But uh, it's important to be able to see that that Gil Groney's brand, as well as the Giltini's, is being almost driven because it's a marketing tool more than it's about the rugby and the game and the sport. And exactly. that is disappointing, I think, why some fans have looked at it and gone, we're headed in the wrong direction. But then what role and responsibility does the MLR have to have to play to say, well, where do we draw the line? How far away are we going through for, away from our core message and our goals here? What are your thoughts there, guys? Well, I think it goes back to transparency, like we were talking about how the MLR can help the fans grow it. Because I wonder what Gilchrist's percentage of ownership is in each group. Because if you look at the AGs versus the Giltinis, the Gilgronis went right to the AG logo, and it, they really aren't pushing the, the Gilgroni logo right. and are focusing on the AGs, and then changed their color scheme to quintessential Texas colors. So that way that the fan in Texas can, can have a, a, a piece of it. So I'm wondering if his, if his ownership percentage is higher in the L.A. ownership group, he has more say in what he's doing. So I think it was – even though the name was funny, the Gilgronis, it was, it's more subtle when they actually came out with the product versus what they're doing now with the Giltinis. So maybe right. with this backlash, they will get more – they will become more subtle with what they're doing. Or, like you said, there's a rumor that they're coming out with a, a more of a – family-friendly line of products. So, you know, maybe on the field they'll be having that match day kit and then off the field they're really not going to be selling that in the same version. Yeah. I also don't like the fact, like like you were saying about, they might be bringing out an, a non-alcoholic version of their drink. At the same time, you're still, you're still pushing the, a, pro, a cocktail on, on a kid just because it ain't non-alcoholic. Right. You know, what, what that isn't the image you want to be like, it's like, are you using rugby as just the marketing tool, the means to be able to bring your product to market? You know, exactly. or are you actually invested in the team? And to that point, uh, and Rob, I'm definitely going to circle back around to you. I just wanted we're on mm -hmm. the topic here. To that point, it's also worth noting that with the uh, the, the name change and profile and everything associated with the Gilgronies, 
they had made a massive commitment to local rugby and youth development. They had lowered ticket prices, promised to be able to do so, engage in youth programs by offering them the opportunity to be able to supplement their, their costs for kit and so forth. So we can't ignore the fact that what comes with this type of branding is a commitment from a company that will invest in rugby. Now, whether that investment comes to be valuable, only time will tell, right? But the moment that rugby right now is still growing and you have somebody who's willing to be able to continue to be able to put money into it and to expand it by bringing in new teams, giving opportunity for players to be able to enter the league that they might never have had, this ultimately is a great thing and a win for the league and rugby as a whole. So I just wanted to be able to also frame it that there are some positives. As much as there is the negative feedback about the, the, the naming, the ultimate goal, if it is to grow rugby, they have achieved that in some part. Rob, what are your thoughts? Well, I think Scott hit upon a, a, a good point. Uh, you know, in Austin, they when they rebranded as the Gilgronies and brought the burnt orange and white, um, it really plugged into University of Texas Colors, which is really marketable down there. It was a smart thought. Um, you know, conversely, I'm still hung up on the colors. Um, and 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 by the way, this old guy says I'm I'm smart enough to know that if you look at international. Or you look at many of the other uh, other teams. Uh, they go with some tried and true colors, and then they go and every year they come out with some new kind of cool uh, alternative kit or you know training kit that people can purchase that are a little bit more uh, on the out there um, and right. fringes of of a color scheme. Um, and and then people have something new to buy that's a little bit more fashionable. And then again, yeah, that's a marketing uh, topic. The other thing, and Ty hit upon a great point. Um, you know, probably one of the most well-known uh, franchises in Major League Baseball are the Chicago Cubs. When you think of Cubs, oh, you Jesus. don't see hey, – hey, you guys know I'm from Chicago, right? Ding. Uh, um, you know, Chicago Cubs, but you don't think Chicago – you don't see the logo and go, old style. You know, right. even though old style has been associated with Cubs for years, um, you think Chicago Cubs, you think the Cubby, you think the C. And so the branding – and the sponsorship are different and separate. Right, absolutely. Well, I wanted to be able to close off our segment here uh, with a couple of extra thoughts. Now, I learned, was looking for examples of branding and rugby and how it's used. And one of the great examples I could give was, in fact, the, uh, the Japanese top league. Now, the Japanese have had a rugby culture dating back to professional rugby culture to a certain degree, or at least semi-pro, back to 1948 with the company's league. And what I mean by that is that it literally is the company's large organizations that pay for everything to do with that club. They essentially own it. It's an extension of their identity. And as a result, is used as a great marketing tool. So some examples would be the Toyota Motor Corporation, the Fairblitz, uh, Yamaha, Motor, Jabilo, the Kobe Steel Steelers. You know, these are notable names in that league that have been able to contract high-profile players like Dan Carter. They've been able to attract great players from around the world, and they haven't received any criticism for it. You know, they've actually been praised for that investment. They've actually used it as a platform and a model for upcoming leagues. And now Japan supports three leagues. They have three tiers to this competition where each team is owned by a company, and that company's name is attached to the name of that uh, team. So these are important points. And what it brings, again, is investment, brand synergy, and marketing value. So they obviously see value in it. Why couldn't that formula work here in the U.S.? 
Right. Okay. Rob, your final thought. I know you want to ask. So real quick, by the way, did you know that there is a team out in in Martini? There's a town in California, like Martini or something like that. The Martini Rugby Club already exists. And if you look at their logo, it looks really similar to what's been created. I mean, so much so I'm no attorney. But if I was if I was one and I was a patent attorney, um, there might be an opportunity for a lawsuit there, especially when it comes to deep pockets like F45. Right. Well, you're talking about the trademark infringement. Now, that name already has been trademarked, according to Tessa, which is that uh, the, the, the it's a public uh, service. You can check it out. You can see the, 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 the coding, the licensing of every single trademark. That's also going back to one of our early episodes where the Gilmopolitans is still a name. There's a bunch of them. I might very well put it inside here as well. Uh, and I'm going to research that Martini Club as well so people can see it. That's an interesting point. And uh, talking about interesting points, I think we've shared what we need to be able to share in regards I, to the Gilmopolitans. I think you missed the, the most important point is I'm Crockett and Rob is Tubbs. <laughs> Reverse. Look at my hair. It's awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh, I like it. Now I've got to put a picture in on this feed when I really <laughs> right? It's got to happen. Well, MLR rant viewers and listeners out there, that was the end of part two. We're going to move forward on to part three in our final segment to be able to talk about some of the rumors surrounding the league, especially when it comes to San Diego Legion. So, back to the podcast. Well, again, welcome back to the Major League Rugby Rant Podcast Show. Again, my name is Ty Brog, and you're here with the gang. You got Rob, you got Scott, and joining us for the first time again, a quick reminder, we got Connor Murphy from the Saber Cats, of course. Pleasure to have you guys here. Uh, We wanted to take a moment to add this segment uh, to be able to talk about some of the rumors that are currently flying around the league, Uh, some interesting points, and of course, we love to be able to be in the know. We'd love to be able to learn what's coming up in the league. And uh, that's what this section is about. So understand that these are only rumors. We're not uh, portraying the fact that any of these are the truth or the gospel. Uh, this is what the chatter is in the Major League Rugby Fan Zone group and the other social media platforms that we thought were notable topics. So I'm going to throw it out to, uh, to you boys. Uh, who wants to take the, uh, the reins on uh, sharing some good gossip with us right now? So, so I'm going to hit two points that I thought is interesting in the press release uh, by San Diego. He stepped right. down to spend time with his growing family and uh, good luck in future rugby endeavors. Here's the deal. Uh, he's been spending two months with his family. Okay. So why now? The timing is interesting to me. Okay. Right. And then the fact that they allude to future rugby endeavors tells us that there's something on the horizon potentially uh, for Mr. Hoadley. And I just want to throw it out there. Rob Hoadley, like his first name, and he is uh, from Hammersmith, London, and that's damn close to Hammersmith. So I love this guy, by the way. You know, and I, I personally, I thought it was a bit weird in the way he, like, he leaves the next day they announce new coaches. You know, I think, right. What, it makes me think, was there something happening behind the scenes that he didn't know about? Was there a bit of bad blood? Because ultimately, you announce him leaving and leave it open for a while, being in San Diego, where they finished last year and what they were doing this season just gone. They were right. going to have this, this top CVs flying in at them, you know, and I think that's not to, you know, discredit the guys they've got coming in now, but it's just, a, it would have been an easy sell to a lot of the best coaches around. Well, I mean, as far as the timing, I don't think the timing is as weird as you think because we're coming up on the MLR draft and we're coming up on all those Raptors players that are now, you know, are released from contract and available for free agents. So right. I think I think they wanted to show that there is leadership 
um, a- after their head coach leaving. Um, I, I mean, I've heard a rumor. I think Rob heard it too that he might be the next USA Eagles head coach. So maybe it's it's it was in, it, maybe it was stated when he signed this contract. Hey, if this opportunity is available, I'm going to jump at it. But going back to San Diego, I wonder how the two head coach system is going to work. Um, not that I don't think they could figure it out, but I, I just it's an interesting way to go at it to say you have co-head coaches. Um, especially when you when in, you see international teams, and you have Eddie Jones, and he tells you what what's going to be happening. And if he wants a, a wing to play, you know, flanker, the wing is going to play flanker. So I just find it interesting that that's the role they chose to go to. So what I'm what I'm thinking is maybe they're getting through this transition period with these two head coaches, and maybe they 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 give a, a GM role to one of them aside from a head coaching role, and to, to start picking up free agents and things like that. Connor, you know, you're saying. Connor, you, you're familiar with Pro 14 and Premiership. Um, are any any rumors out there about um, places he could fit? I mean, there's a coaching vacancy in Gloucester. What are your thoughts? On yeah, that? you saw Gloucester. Have obviously, they've got rid of Ackerman, um, and they sort of have a very sort of Rob Holy style. And also, with it being in England, it, you know, it's near where he grew up. You know. He, he grew up sort of just around the corner from where I did. You know, he played London Irish, just like me. So he's going to have that homely feel, although he might not be in London. So I think Gloucester could be a good fit for him. That uh, rugby resume is quite there to take the uh, the head coach role at a at a pro yeah. team. You're saying, you know, uh, his experience, his rugby resume does include time as a USA coach, although not be uh, a head coach. You know, having been in that structure. And this is kind of alluding to the point that might very well be an opportunity coming up the line where he could be considered as the the head honcho for a uh, rugby, uh, sorry, Eagles 15s senior side. And I don't think that would be that far a stretch. I mean, given that he's a part of the MLR culture, he has been from the start, he knows the climate, he knows the players. I mean, it would be a great transition moving uh, into that position drawing from all the previous experiences got. So I could see that being a good fit. Somebody who's already proven to be invested in rugby in America, has been successful in it. Why wouldn't that be a great fit for a position at head coach at the USA Eagles? Right. And all of these, again, I just want to make sure that our viewers recognize that this is rumors. We're not saying that there is like hardcore evidence to be able to support any of these claims. In fact, we're not even claiming it. It's just, it's just, this is the chatter and these are opportunities and possibilities. Um, and we'll continue to be able to stay in tune with what the developments may be and continue to share it with our viewers. Yeah. And in regards, I just want to be able to close off this segment here. And again, we will be able to revisit this at a later stage as soon as we learn more. But what we do know for sure is that when you have a coach uh, of this stature, who's been so influential in the team right from the start, has almost bred the culture, that winning culture that they're famous for. uh, And then you have him exit. There's going to be a vacuum, although I don't believe it'll be that large. Having uh, Zach Test and Murray step into that role who have already been a part of that same culture, who can have that continuity moving forward and continue the same path, hopefully so. We wish them all the best in their uh, future season ahead of them. Obviously, there's a long time to be able to go. I would love to be able to see what choices they're going to be making around the MLR draft to be able to see uh, what the direction might be, whether it's going to be continue to be able to bring overseas players in, more experience, or if they might invest in some youth. And uh, I wonder how big a decision they will make in that or if that decision has already been made. 
All right, boys. I think, again, that has been a wonderful show. Uh, we've all put our great points together. I think that uh, uh, it stands out uh, just to be able to let our viewers know that Rob has two wins thus far in the MLR Rant podcast. The same goes for Scott, although he is technically out of the two, still the reigning champ. Connor is our first time up. And uh, he's hoping to be able to make a play at that cup. And uh, today, looking at the uh, the record, it stands that, uh, Rob, you had uh, one yellow against you for going over your time. Uh, it was a minor violation. It was a minor violation, but you still managed <laughs> to make some excellent points. Um, so I think ultimately I'm going to hand this to Rob, though. Even though he had received the yellow, you can still win the game one man down. So, you know what, Rob, I, I, I like the way that you were talking about a lot of those things. You get to keep that cup. Yes. Excellent stuff. Be happy about it. Be proud. I feel like I just lost a match at Terrero Stadium because of the <laughs> I just like to point that out. <laughs> you know what? It's been good fun. That's what this is about, guys. And, uh, Connor, you have been an amazing sport to come on uh, our show. It was pretty much at the last minute, so I do appreciate you Absolutely. jumping on. Uh, I know that the other guys do as well. And we wanted to be able to share with our our viewers um, that what you do, you know, having been involved so heavily um, in the Major League Rugby, long-time rugby career, you know, we're we're hoping that whatever is next for you is going to be revealed and you have find a way to be able to keep connecting with fans because I'm pretty sure everybody appreciates it in no matter what form it may be. So, again, thank you for joining us here today. No, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure. Excellent. Well, from myself and the gang, thank you for watching the Major League Rugby Rant podcast show. And stay tuned because every Sunday you'll have another chance to see us live. Thank you very much and bye-bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.